would you take them to? Would you know? First Thessalonians chapter 4 would be a prime passage that you would go to. And verses 16 through 18. And in that, as um, we have seen before um, in God's timetable, um, there are some very, very important um, truths that are presented. We've gone over that timetable before. We won't look at it tonight for the sake of time. But um, a number of questions arise. If the Lord returns and takes all believers from the earth, who are the believers on the earth during the tribulation? We read in Revelation chapter 9, and we'll get to some of these things as we get further in this, but there was a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and tongues and people that stood before the Lord, and um, many of these came out of the tribulation period. So the question, who are the believers? If the Lord comes and takes all believers out, who are these believers during this seven-year period of tribulation? God is not limited in any way in how he does things, but God has raised up, um, Revelation 11 tells us, he will raise up two witnesses, they will prophesy for three and a half years, they will proclaim the gospel, and it will be heard literally around the world, um, You've heard it said, we must take the gospel to every tribe and every tongue because the Lord won't come again until we do that. Well, that means then that the rapture is not imminent. That means that we're gonna, we've got our work cut out and we better send somebody to, and we ought to be sending people. But God's not sitting up there Man, I wish they'd get with it. I'd sure like to bring this stuff to a conclusion. I wish they'd get with it. There's some tribe down there in the Himalayan mountains that nobody's got to yet. The gospel is going to be preached around the world by, in particular, these two witnesses that God raises up. They will end up being, and we'll look at this in more detail as we go through the tribulation, as we study the tribulation period, I, I said as we go through the tribulation period, okay? As we study the tribulation period, they will be hated by mankind. They will kill them and their dead bodies will be broadcast, the pictures of them around the world. And there will be celebrations of their death. Those are two that will be used to preach the gospel. God also is raising up 144,000 evangelists. In Revelation chapter 7, it talks about this, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, and they will be going and preaching the gospel as well. So there will be people who will come to Christ 
during the tribulation. But remember, people will be faced with this decision to come to Christ is a destiny-sealing choice. Because when they choose to follow Christ, they will not be able to buy or sell because they have chosen to follow Christ. So there are many people around the world, when they choose to follow Christ today, that their families disown them, that they, they have a death mark on them, and so on. But in the tribulation period, it will be even more so because they will not be able to buy or sell. When they choose to trust Christ as Savior, it is, it is stark contrast of I am on God's side, I am not on Satan's side, and there is definite warfare. So um, there will be believers during the tribulation. Many of them will end up being martyrs. There will be individuals that will be believers on the face of the earth when the Lord actually comes to set up his millennial kingdom. They will reign with Christ. So that question about who are the believers on the earth, where do they come from, and so on. Some ask, okay, if we are not going to be here during the tribulation, why does God tell us so much about the tribulation? Why would he bother? If, if, it, if it doesn't affect us, if we're not going to be here, why would God go into such detail about it? Well, number one, God in his mercy, he didn't have to, but God in his mercy um, gives us the rest of the story. And not only does he give us the rest of the story to, to be a, um, an encouragement to us, um, to help us to see that, yeah, God is in control and God wins, not only to do that, but through this, God reveals many, many things to us about himself, about Satan, about sin, about the depravity of man. We talked about that earlier, the wickedness of man's heart. Even after God brings judgment and it is clear there is a God, it is God that is bringing judgment, it is undeniable even after that mankind will raise its fist at God and say, I want nothing to do with you and, and will, it shows the depravity of man. He teaches us much about angels and of course, he instructs us about end times. So um, he tells us all this, not because we will necessarily be going through it, but he, he gives us his heart, his nature, and it serves as a warning concerning the consequences of sin. If you choose sin... This is the outworking. This is where sin leads. This is how sin ends, and so on. Another question that comes up is, what happens to babies and young children when Jesus Christ comes in the rapture? There's basically three views. No children are included in the rapture. 
Second view, all children are taken in the rapture. And the third view, infants and children of believers will be taken in the rapture. Now, we cannot be dogmatic about anything because God hasn't specifically told us the details of all of that. But, one thing we know, God's nature is one of love, of compassion, of mercy, and justice. And whatever God does, it will be right. And whatever God does, we will someday say, oh, I see it, you were absolutely right. Okay? You say, well, that doesn't answer the question. Right, it doesn't. I'll go on and give you a little more here, okay? God loves children more than you do, and God loves your children way more than you do. You may find that hard to believe, but I could probably show video clips of you not loving your children very much sometimes, okay? There is no question that God loves your children way more than you do, because number one, we struggle with love. We're all selfish. God is perfect in love. So that ought to be a comfort and consolation to us, just that, that God loves our children way more than we do. There is a biblical precedent that shows that when God sends cataclysmic judgment, he rescues both the believers and the believers' children but he allows unbelievers and their children to face judgment. If I were to say tonight, I would say the third view, infants and children of believers will be taken in the rapture. Children meaning they're not accountable, they um, are not able to understand the gospel and so on. Um I, I, again, I cannot be dogmatic in that, but I believe because of the nature of God, because of God's um, decisions throughout history, it gives us good indication to that end. But the fact of the matter is, when God sees fit to not tell us something specifically, he knows that we don't need to know that, and we don't need to wring our hands about it. We can trust God. And at times that's hard for us to do that. But come back to the nature of God. If we really know God, we'll trust him. And we'll know he is a God of love and of compassion and mercy and justice. And everything he does is right. And someday we will say, God, you you did it right. Personally, um, and I have no basis, this is just my thinking, so take it as it is my thinking. I think God um, taking all the children is is not um, not in God's nature because can you imagine here's an unsaved family and they wake up and all the children are gone. 
Um, number one, it would put a lot of people out of employment. No, I'm just kidding on that. It would put a lot of people out of employment, but that isn't why I... I just think that goes against God's nature. God has designed that a family influences those under them. And, and for that reason, it is important that we um, make sure we're putting the umbrella of righteousness over our families. And, of course, they must come to personally trust Christ as Savior as they come to the ability to do that. We cannot bring salvation to our kids. It is a personal decision. But personally, I believe if the Lord came tonight, uh, those children that are not of uh, age, and, and you may say, what is the age? I don't believe there is a set age because one child may be able to understand the gospel at a, at a younger age than another child. I, I know God knows all about that. But personally, I believe that um, if the Lord came tonight, those that are not able to understand the gospel would be taken to be with Christ as, as they, their parents. And then you ask, okay, what if one parent is a Christian and one parent isn't? I don't know. But I know God will do what is right. And we can rest in him. Um, the truth of the rapture should cause us to do a number of things. I hear people say, and uh, Marilyn read an article this last week, and, and in it they say, um, the rapture can't be true because uh, people that believe in the rapture just grow apathetic, and they just think, oh, we're not going to have any problems. Jesus is coming again, and they grow apathetic. How many of you have ever heard that that reasoning? Okay. Now, that can be true, but that shouldn't be the response that we have. Just because somebody um, thinks that way doesn't wipe out this truth. Now, I want to mention five things quickly. The truth of the rapture, what it should do to us. Number one, it should cause self-examination. If... If... The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ could come at any time. We do not know when he is coming. We had better, as 2 Corinthians 13:5 said, examine ourselves to make sure we are in the faith. That was written to the believers of the church at Corinth. And you know, we dog on the church at Corinth. There was a bad church and immoral. They're probably waiting at heaven's doors to say, your church wasn't so hot either, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we we dog on Jonah for not obeying God. If if um, God came to you and said, I want you to go to Baghdad this week and pronounce, march through the streets and pronounce the judgment of God, I bet you'd be getting in a plane going somewhere besides Baghdad too, you know what I'm saying? I say all that to say... Um, he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, you better examine. You, is there evidence in my life that I am a Christian? Is there fruit? And um, that should be something that we should be willing to examine. I'm not saying, yep, I, I, I got it written down on such and such a date. I prayed to receive Christ. No. 
Is there fruit on the tree of Christianity in your life? Is there an evidence in your life? If, if Christ came today, examine ourselves. Am I a child of God and am I ready? And that then ought to spur us. Secondly, the, the thought of his coming again ought to spur us to holiness. In Second Peter chapter 3, he gives a, a clear instruction to us beginning at verse 10. He said, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise. The elements shall melt with the fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting unto the coming day of the Lord and he says that we ought to give ourselves to his righteousness. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, if we have this hope that when we see him we'll be like him, it should purify us. In other words, to understand Jesus Christ may come today or tomorrow, that should motivate us to a holy life and it should motivate us with compassion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're familiar with the verse that says that um, we are ambassadors for Christ. And that knowing the tear of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that when the rapture takes place, there will be seven years of God's wrath poured out upon mankind. Knowing the tear of the Lord, we should persuade men. It ought to motivate us with compassion to share Christ, to share the gospel, to present Christ in whatever way that we can. And honestly, this is an area personally and as a church, we need to step it up big time. In, in not worrying what people think, in presenting Christ, who knows I mean, you present the gospel to someone, they may reject it, but the Lord comes again and they may say, whoa, what they said was true. And they still could come to Christ during the tribulation at much cost to themselves. But at the same time, not only that, God is able to do far beyond what we ask or think. But if the seed never gets in the ground, it can never grow, it can never produce life. And it doesn't do any good um, staying in the bag, staying in the barn, staying in the church, staying in our home. The truth of the rapture should motivate us with compassion and it should calm us with comfort. I mean, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where we read about the Lord's coming He concludes that passage in verse 18 by saying, Comfort yourselves with these truths. It is comforting to know this world is not my home. And it should be calming to us all the the rigmarole that's going on in the world and the chaos and confusion 
hey, I know that Jesus Christ is coming again. I know how things end. It doesn't mean there won't be hard times before he comes. There are many people tonight experiencing very difficult times. But we know that we are saved from the wrath to come, and it should provide great comfort to us in the sense of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I have gone to prepare a place for you, and I will come again to receive you unto myself. And then, lastly, it should energize us with urgency. Romans chapter 13 says that the night is far spent, the day is at hand, we need to awake, it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Why do you put on armor? Because you're in the battle. And he says, and let us walk honestly in the day, not in rioting and junk, drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. He said, it is time for us to awake because Jesus is coming again. Paul wrote that then, and he believed Jesus Christ could come then, and he said, we need to have a sense of urgency about it. Jesus said, the night is far spent. The night comes when no man can work. There's going to come a time when you're never going to be able to pray another prayer. You're never going to be able to give to God's cause any time or talent. You're never going to be able to witness again. You're never going to be able to encourage anybody else again. Right now is the only time we can do that stuff. And um, Lord willing, next week maybe we'll be looking at we're going to stand before God. The next thing for us as believers is the rapture. And right after that is the judgment seat of Christ. That ought to motivate us with the sense of urgency. Must I go an empty-handed before the Savior? What do I have to give him? Well, I had this hobby and I had this collection and, and boy, did you see what I had here? What do we have to give him? And if belief in the rapture causes you to say, hey, sit back, you don't believe in the rapture. You don't believe it from God's perspective. It ought to motivate us with a sense of urgency. It ought to provide us a peace that the world doesn't know. And a comfort, it ought to motivate us with compassion. Look at this person that I just did business with may be living in the seven-year period of tribulation. Oh, well. No, not oh, well. As we get in and see what the tribulation is going to be like, this world has never, ever, ever seen anything like it will be. And... It is, it is incredible, and our compassion ought to move us and spur us to holiness and, most of all, to examine our heart. If you're here tonight and there is any doubt in your mind about your eternal salvation, you better settle it tonight.
Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be motivated, moved, encouraged, comfort, and strengthened by the truth of your coming again. And I pray that you would awaken us to righteousness. Lord, I do pray, if there is one here tonight that has any inkling of doubt about their eternal destiny, I pray tonight they would settle it. I pray they would speak to someone. If they don't know how to settle it, I pray before they leave tonight that they would settle it. Lord, I pray uh, for individuals that are not sure that you would not give them rest until they have come to know your peace. And then, Lord, for every one of us here tonight that know you, I pray that we would we would understand that it's it's beyond time for the two-minute drill. It's beyond time for the hurry-up offense. It is now time for us to have the sense of urgency, that we would be filled with compassion, and, Lord, that you would use our lives to make a difference, that we would represent you well. Lord, May we be diligent, may we be found faithfully, fervently serving you until you come again. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Honestly.